Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 153, a conversation with Gret Glyer of DonorSea. And the whole concept of, behind that was to show people, show how small amounts of money can make a big difference. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Hi there, and welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm really glad that you're here. In this week's episode, we're having a conversation that takes us from college graduation to Enterprise Rent-A-Car to Malawi and beyond. We're going to talk about some of the challenges and some of the fun stories that can come from entering a new culture. We're going to look at a new way to meet real needs and to see the effects of our giving. We're going to look at how giving small amounts of money can make a real difference and what prompted our guest to start working on an app. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash and I would recommend that you check those out. If you haven't been to the website in a while, we've done some work to really improve the quality of our show notes. We've got links and timestamps and things that you can tweet or share, pictures of the guest, all kinds of stuff. I, th- I, think that, I think that they're really great. I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing over the last few weeks. So if you, if you haven't already, go ahead and check those out, engagingmissions.com slash And With that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. This week, I'm really excited to be talking with Gret Glyer, and this is something about this is about something that's pretty much brand new. It's called Donor C. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Gret. So he's uh, 26 years old, and he's the host of the Bad Missionary Podcast, which focuses on answering questions and gaining a Malawian perspective, as well as some current news and events from the U.S. and Malawi. In about two, in 2012, he graduated from college. He went to work for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And then a year later, he transitioned into teaching math with African Bible colleges in Malawi. Then over a couple of years, he transitioned into helping alleviate poverty, doing things such as helping to build a school for girls and also helping to build homes for widows and orphans. That's, that's a mouthful, especially for somebody 26 years old. But today we're <laughs> going to spend most of our time talking about his new project, which is Donor Seat. So, Gret, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. So I guess it's kind of, it works it's both mutual. ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we get to know you a little bit better, I could, I'm wondering, could you tell us in maybe a couple of sentences, what is Donor C and what's it about? Sure. So like the, the log line, the thing I like to say about Donor C that's kind of sticky is it, it's the Uber for charities. Um, so I, the, the basic conception, the basic idea behind it is um, there's a lot of 
people living abroad, like my missionaries, expat workers, Peace Corps workers living abroad, and they see these needs all the time. And there's lots of people in the United States who would love to give to those needs. And so I've built an app that makes it really easy for those Peace Corps workers or missionaries or whoever they are living overseas to take pictures of them, of those needy people, so that people in the States can donate to them. And then the what makes this kind of different from GoFundMe or any other crowdfunding platform like that is the app was specifically designed with a heavy emphasis on providing feedback to the donors. So a good example would be if there's a, a little girl who needs hearing aids, like $150 so she can hear for the first time, take a picture, have your friends donate to it. And then on the back end, any of the donors should get a video of that girl hearing for the first time. There's tons of different applications you might see with this, but the basic idea is to show visual feedback on all donations that people provide. Yeah. And I really love the idea. My daughter's almost six years old. And so one of the things we did when I heard about this was I grabbed the app. We found something. She'd been saving some money and we had some money that we were planning to give as as a donation to something. And so that we came together and we were able to help a girl as well. So I really like that. I think that's great. We'll come back to talking about the app and the other things that you have going on a little bit more as we get into the second section. Now, as I understand it, Right now, when as we're talking, you're here in the in the U.S. and mm-hmm. you kind of, if I remember right, you kind of commute back and forth every few months or so. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it's a weird situation. Basically, i I live in <laughs> I, I live in Malawi <laughs> most of the year, but then I come back to the states about four times a year, and that's kind of like something I've been doing for just like a year now. And that's because I, I help out doing video work for a short term mission organization in Georgia, and so I'll, I'll come back to the states. I'll spend some a couple of weeks with my family in DC, then I'll, I'll go spend a couple of weeks in Georgia to do this video work, and then I'll go back to Malawi, and. Totally, like, very fun, exciting opportunity. Happy to be doing it at this point in my life. Definitely not sustainable, but, uh, you know, it's fun. Yeah, I I was going to ask what it's like to kind of jump cultures every few months. Is that hard for you? Uh, You know, surprisingly, it gets easier. Everything about it gets easier along the way and more exhausting. So, you know, the plane flight is about, like, 24 hours door-to-door. And, you know, that's tough in and yeah. of itself. And then when you come back, you kind of, you know, you, you get a little bit of jet lag and sometimes you get a little sick and stuff like that. Um, as far as the culture goes, I kind of, it's kind of very interesting to me. I love like, I love like jumping into a brand new culture. They're not brand new, but I love like just jumping in, like going from place to place to place. Like it's kind of, it kind of seems like it keeps me on my toes in, in a really good way, like a really healthy way. But yeah, like I said, totally not, I can't do this forever. As, and as I was going through some of the information that you had sent, if I remember right, you spent uh, about a year or so at Enterprise, and then you went off to teach at African Bible Colleges, and that seems to have kind of kicked off where you've been headed in terms of alleviating poverty and things like that. What was mm-hmm. it that led you to go teach math? That's a good question. So the story is I was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and I was working, I was, I was working that job 12 hours a day, like working really, really difficult, uh, like customer service oriented job. And I actually got promoted super fast. And I was, I was like being fast tracked through the company. Mm. So I was on this, like on this path to make a lot of money and have a lot of influence relatively quickly. And like, the more I like looked down that path, the more I thought like, I don't want, 
like it doesn't i don't know it's like the money <laughs> if i spend 20 years doing this working enterprise rent a car i'll be very wealthy i'll be very good at renting cars and i'll be totally unhappy hmm. and so the more i looked down that path the more i realized i've got to do i got to do something so i started talking to a few mentors and some of them suggested that I go on the world race, which is like this 11 month mission trip to yeah. 11 different countries. I looked at that and that wasn't exactly the right fit for me, but I was, I was like on the, you know, I was looking at my options. I was during, like, I remember at enterprise during my, my lunch hours, I would go to my car and like hang out in my car and interview on the phone with different mission organizations. <laughs> and I did this for like six months and nothing was working out. And it was kind of hard. Honestly, I was, it was frustrating. Cause I was like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to like go overseas. And this seems like way more difficult than it should be. And then I was at this wedding on July 13th, 2013. I was a groomsman. One of the other groomsmen said he was going to Malawi to teach history. And I went up to him and I said, Hey, that's pretty cool. You're going to this place. You know, I've, I never even heard of the country before. Mm -hmm. And he said, I said, yeah, I, I guess so. He was kind of nervous. You know, he's like, oh, I don't, he, he just wanted to be a teacher. So he's nervous. He's like, I don't know if I, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous about it. Like I, I didn't really want to teach in Africa, but it was the only thing that opened up for me. And I said, dude, I'm going to be renting cars for the next year of my life. <laughs> and you are going to be teaching kids in Africa. Like I would much rather be doing what you're doing. And he said, well, I think they have a spot open. And I was like, uh, uh, I can't like, no way I can't do that. I can't, I can't teach anything. I'm not like, I never thought I would do that. If anything, like I'm kind of good at math, I suppose. And right away he said, well, it's a math spot. So this was <laughs> July 13th. And a month later to the day I was on a plane to Malawi mm. and I've been there for three years. So when you get, when you went, did you have to raise your own support as well? That first year I had to raise some, but okay. there was actually this, the situation that first year was, I actually was, was uh, because I, I came on last minute and they mm -hmm. needed someone so quickly. It, I didn't have to, they, they kind of like helped me out that, that one year. Yeah. I was, I was wondering how you would have gotten from zero to funded in 30 days. That would have <laughs> yeah. been amazing. Yeah. There was a lot of amazing things that had to happen for me to like pick up and leave in 30 days. But yeah. um, thankfully that, that was something that I didn't have to worry about. You know, that's something that probably a lot of people don't think about. Could you maybe share a little bit more about some of the things that had to happen in those 30 days? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all the, there's a lot. So the the basic stuff is, you know, you got to get your shots. You got to make sure you have like malaria pills and stuff like that. Um, and then you also just have to, the other, the other thing was I had to teach myself pre-calculus and algebra two <laughs> in that time so I could teach math, um, which like surprisingly worked out fine. I, I, I didn't quite remember. Like the, the pace of learning in high school is a lot slower than in college. So mm. when I like was reteaching myself that stuff, I was like cramming. And then when I got to teach at the classroom, I was like, oh, I could, if I basically, if I stay like, you know, if, like a month ahead of the material, I'll, I'll be fine. Mm. There's also a, just a, an aspect of mental preparation, I think, where you're going into a country in a culture that's very different than your own and you don't know anyone else that's in that country. Like I knew the, the guy from, the wedding was the only contact I had, and I just met him at the wedding. So you're going into this place where, where you literally know no one for thousands of miles. Um, and so like just getting yourself ready for that and getting, you know, being prepared for that on a mental level that I think when I look back at that, that was like a really, it's such a difficult, like uncertain experience. It's a really good opportunity to put your trust in God. One of the things I remember you sharing from, from your podcast was how things are culturally different. And I remember there was specifically some stories around your interactions with police. Uh, would yeah. you mind sharing a little <laughs> bit about that? 
Yeah. So my, I, 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 I'd like to think I'm more mature than when I first got to Malawi, but yeah, my first, like first week or two uh, in, in Malawi, I, um, we were trying to go, it was actually, we, were, we had good intentions. We were trying to go to church one morning. I was with my friend Woody and my other friend, Danny, and we like went to the bus stop. The bus didn't come for whatever reason. You know, it's a third world country that this stuff kind of just happens. And we're like, well, what if we just took a car? Like none of us have ever driven here before, but what if we just took a car? And I said, sure, I'll take a car. And so we go to the little car lot that we have like three or four cars that we have access to on African Bible college campus. So we go, we're walking onto this like dusty car lot, me, Woody and Danny. And the only car that's left is the stick shift car. And none of us know how to drive stick shift, <laughs> but I used to drive a motorcycle in the States, which does have shifting gears. So I said, I can figure it out. So first time driving in Malawi, I'm not only driving a stick shift car, but I'm driving on the wrong side of the road and we don't know where the church is. And so some, <laughs> somehow we get the car started, we drive off campus and we're driving driving around trying to find this place and there's this little parking lot. We, we think we see a sign to the church. And so we pull in, but it's just like a parking lot. There's no, there's no outlet. And so this cop sees this car like stopping and starting. And, you know, it's like that, the common like stick shift, how it looks Mm -hmm. like it just, you know, it's like going forward and coming and the cop puts his hand up to (laughs) the cop puts his hand up to wave us over. And me being like the, you know, the punk that I am, (laughs) I, I, uh, rolled the window down and I put my hand up and I said, how's it going? And then I tried to speed off <laughs> and the, the, the car just, the car didn't get very far. <laughs> I wasn't very good at driving it. So it like went like another few feet. It stalled and then a bunch of cops, I have no idea where they came from. They, they stormed like the outside of the car. So they all like started running around the car. They said, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you stop? I don't even remember what I'm saying, but I'm at this point, I'm terrified. A guy reaches into the, the cop reaches into the driver's side window, takes the keys out of the ignition and then walks off. And then someone else asks for my driver's license and I don't have it. So this is like, you know, two weeks in the country. I'm in the, we, we are literally lost and it's me, Danny, Woody, just in the middle of his car. And we had to call a friend to get us out of there. But yeah, the whole thing was, was real messy. And at the end of the day, they were super nice. Like that was, that was like the surprising thing. So the guy who pulled me over, his name was Sebastian, even though he gave me like a 5,000 kwacha fine, which at the time was like 15 bucks. Um, and even though they were like yelling us, yelling at us and stuff, when they finally like gave us like the receipt for our, our ticket, he said, Hey, if you ever have a extra Bible, I would love a Bible. Mm. So that was like, what? <laughs> you don't have money for a Bible? You know, I'm like so new to this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I did go and I, I got a Bible uh, for him and I brought it to him and he was really thankful. And then other police officers were like, oh, this guy's handing out Bibles. Can I have one? So I, I would start. So eventually what I started doing was getting phone numbers of police officers who wanted Bibles. And then I would like find them on the side of the road and give it to them. And I like developed a reputation. And, and it turned out into this thing where like, I don't know, like I developed like a really good relationship with the police force in Malawi. And I still have that to this day. Like if, if I get into a ticket or if I get in a situation where I'm pulled over and I feel like I'm not being treated fairly, I can call Sebastian or any of these other police officers who I, who I have their number in, in my phone and they like, they help get me out of the ticket. So they're, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a different, very like relationship oriented culture in all aspects. Wow. That's great. I have one more question for us as we tie a bow on this section. And that would be this, is there a, maybe a meaningful quote or a scripture that's been really foundational in, in what you do and how you do it? Yeah. I think James one twenty seven about helping the orphans and widows in, the, the, mm. in their distress being pure religion. I think a lot of times when I was 
growing up, I, I grew up in like a very, the high school I went to and the church I go to very like theologically centered, which I think is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But I also like always kind of like wondered like, like what, what can I do? You know, like I, I get what I'm supposed to believe. I get what I'm supposed to think, but like, what can I do? And that verse like really makes it very, very plain and clear. It's very simple. You're just like help orphans and widows in their distress. Like if you're doing that, then you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. And I've always found that very, I found it very comforting knowing that, that that verse is there in James. All right. Well, that gets us to the end of this section. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry and toward Donor C. Cool. Hey, this is Jim from Doing Ministry Well. If you're enjoying the Engaging Missions podcast like I do, we'd be honored if you check out our show too at doingministrywell.com. That was Jim Baker of Doing Ministry Well. I would recommend that you go ahead and check out his podcast. And then also, if you're interested in leadership, about learning about leadership, about honing your leadership skills, I would recommend that you also check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment, which is available at engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. That show is hosted by Scott McClelland of FX Missions or Foundational Missions. He's been a guest on the show. He's a friend of the show. He puts out quality stuff. I would recommend that you go ahead and check that out. Here's a short excerpt from this week's episode. Self-promotion equals often talking too much. Now, some of us are more talkative than others, and that's that's not necessarily a a symptom of self-promotion. But bragging on yourself, wow, what's that about? (laughs) The guy who wrote the book, Good to Great, uh, in an interview that I saw of him, spoke on this subject, and uh, he he told about an admonition that he received as a young leader, as a young man, Uh, obviously with a lot of potential and a lot of insight. An older man called him alongside and said, hey, clearly you have a lot of potential and your life is going to be meaningful, but I want to encourage you to focus on being interested rather than being interesting. All right, we're back with Gret Glyer, and we just finished up talking a little bit about him and getting to know him. Before we go any further, though, I do want to recommend that if you haven't already, pause the recording and go find the Bad Missionary podcast and subscribe to it. I enjoy it. I think it's great because it offers perspective. I love hearing the differences between Prince and Gret as they're sharing what's going on in their lives. Uh, so I'd recommend that you do that. Now, Gret, as we move into this section and kind of focusing more on Donor C, as I understand it, there's a very specific personal story that kind of led toward what you're doing. So could you go ahead and kick this off by sharing that? Absolutely. So I'd say like a year and a half ago, I someone very generously gifted me a very nice Canon 70D camera. For those photographers or videographers out there, they'll recognize that. They'll recognize that camera and they'll be like, wow, some, like it was it was a gift from someone who had never met me before. So I was I had this brand new camera and I started making videos with it overseas. And, and it was I realized like if I can make videos, if I can show people what it's really like in Malawi, then I can make a much big it seems that I can make a much bigger impact in terms of communicating what's going on over there than I was able to make previously with my with just like a written blog. So I started making videos about a year ago, I'd say like last November, uh, or even sorry, before that last September, I started a new online series called village Fridays. So if you go to youtube.com slash bad missionary, you can see the village Friday series. And the whole concept of behind that was to show people their, 
show how small amounts of money can make a big difference. And so I would upload like one week, there would be a a little baby who had a big rash on it. And I would say, if you'd like, you know, it's 35 bucks to help this baby. I set up a little funding page and I asked people to donate and they would donate. And then the next week I would have like a little thank you sign and say like, thank you to Bob, Marie and John for donating to help this baby. And so we did this and every week we would make the need just a little bit bigger. So one, you know, the first week it's like a baby with a $35 fixable rash. And then it turns into a widow, a a lady with uh, leprosy who needs a roof. And that was closer to $200. And then we, we built a pigsty for a, 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 family with AIDS that had, you know, they're just unable to work because of, of the disease that they have. And so that was close to like $350. And every week the money always came in and it came in pretty easily. And it was coming in from people I had never, who never, I never knew, like watched my videos or were interested in any of the things I was doing. And so I was like, this is really interesting. And so I was working on these videos with my friend, Matt, who's like another American guy. He's from California. And we're out there trying to like working with the locals to try and find like appropriate needs. And we were, I'm about to go home for like the Christmas break. And I'm talking with Matt. I'm like, Matt, literally every single need that we ever come up with uh, has always been funded and it's funded so easily. Like what's something, what is something crazy that we could do that would, that like, let's see if it works. And so we came up with the idea of putting a, a, a mosquito net in the houses of every single person in this one village. So that was 900 mosquito nets. It was going to cost about, about $9,000 to, wow. to build, to fund this. And we looked at it, we made the video, <laughs> we, we looked at it and it was like $9,000. Are we really going to ask people for this amount of money? Like we both believed in it. We both thought like, if the money comes in, that's going to be a great thing for this community because the, the important statistic there is if 75% of a village starts using mosquito nets, then the malaria rate in that village goes down by 90%, which wow. is really significant. I mean, that's like the way that the majority of kids under five die in these Malawian villages is malaria. So if we can put a malaria net in every one of these houses, then we're thinking like we're saving lives and like we really believe in this and we don't feel bad asking. Like we're asking for these people who could like really benefit from it. And so we throw it, we throw it up there and kind of like me and Matt look at each other like, are we really like, is this like, like $9,000, like, is, is this really going to happen? And like about $2,000 came in and then it kind of tapered off. And I'm, at, I'm in the States at this point, so I'm not really following it. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, $2,000 will still like help a lot of families. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then it kind of got towards the end of the fundraiser and the, the fundraiser ended on December 31st. So it was 2015 last year. And like with a couple weeks left in the fundraiser, people started like, posting about on social media and they started writing blogs about it and even making videos about it. And I was, I just, I saw like the money just started coming in from all these random places. Some people like gave up their birthdays for it. Hmm. And the last, it was like the last $1,000 of it all came in in the last like day of the fundraiser. It was like, we, you know, a ton of people kind of like worked together and like brought the money in at the very last moment. And so all, all the money was raised. I went back to Malawi, like amazed that we had like, you know, the biggest thing we had done was 350 bucks. So raising $9,000 was like, I can't believe that worked. And all we did was put it out there. You know, we didn't like, there wasn't anything special that we did, but we realized like if people believe in the mission, if people believe like what's behind it, they'll help us. They'll work alongside us. So $350 to $9,000, we provide malaria nets or mosquito nets for everyone and like we're on Malawian TV and in the newspapers <laughs> and stuff like that. 
guys. So that was kind of fun. But that whole time, I, I, I was thinking, like, I can't believe that that worked. What if I did that again? What mm-hmm. if I did something even crazier? Um, what if I did something like an even bigger need? And so I, I looked around for to a bunch of different stuff, and I, I actually had this idea to build a clinic. And I was like, oh, if I could build a clinic. And, and like that lady that we helped who had leprosy, we put a roof on her house. Mm-hmm. Um, her name was Maria. And we would go, and you can find the video of her online. Like she's like her, her fingers and her toes are falling off, and she just sits in the sand next to this like brick structure all day long. And it's just like whenever I visit her, whenever I see her, she's always in that same spot. It's just like this this lady who's like really suffering. And I and I, I went and I talked to her and I thought like, well, you know, like what what can we do for her? And it, it turned out that that she used to go to a clinic that was nearby and then the clinic shut down. So I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to build a clinic for Maria. And I looked into it and I was like starting to talk to different doctors and do- different people who could run it. And it it was like it was, I was like, literally, I was like, oh man, a clinic is what's next. And then this lady Tia comes up to me and I'm pitching the idea to Tia. Like I'm thinking about building this clinic and Tia's like this, you know, this like traditional African lady. She's like very, you know, very big personality. And I said, Tia, I'm building a clinic. And she said, no, you're not. You're building a girl's school. And I told her the story about Maria and I was like, no, I, I got this lady named Maria. We're going to build her a clinic. And she said, no, you're building a girl's school. A girl's school is going to fix is, is going to fix the poverty problem for generations, not for a single, you know, not for a very small timeline. So I said, no, I'm building a clinic. And Tia says, no, you're building a girl's school. And she hands me a document that she wrote seven years ago, which was a vision document for this Girls Shine Academy. And she's been praying that this happens for seven years. And mm-hmm. she puts it in front of me and she says, we need $100,000 to make this happen. I have everything. I have the land. I have permission from the chiefs. I have the students at the school and the teachers who will teach there. Um, like I've got everything can we do this school? And I looked at it, I was like a hundred thousand dollars. It's the same price range. So I was like, you know what, let's do it. So made the video and right now like fundraising for the girls school, um, it's opening in September. Like you can see the videos online. It's crazy. Like how we went from this empty field to now we have like girls school and we have, like if you watch the videos, you can see like we have drone footage and stuff like that. And it's like a really, really beautiful school, blue roofs. And it's another one of those stories where like girls education is just such a positive thing. And so I realized if people like, if people believe in the idea, they'll, they'll come alongside us and help us with our mission. Like if it's, if it's something that people like can get behind and believe in. But anyways, the other thing I realized is that there's this strong need for personality based giving. So like a lot of people are somewhat jaded. They give to something like world vision Mm -hmm. and not that world, like world vision is a very good steward of people's money for sure. There's nothing bad about world vision whatsoever. But at the same time, if you give money to world vision, the most you're going to get most of the time is a thank you email. You might get like a, a story of how your of how people's money impacted people overseas at some point somewhere, but like the the connection is completely lost, right? You're not going to see how your money affected the people that you helped. So the whole idea behind Donorcy was came out of this like Village Friday series where I realized um, I basically saw like okay, people like giving to the projects that Greg Lyre posts. So what if I just made it super simple for any missionary so that. Molly Malone can post a project and Nicole can post a project and Matt can post a project and Brian can post a project. Anyone can post projects and have 
people give because they trust the people. Um, and those people can do a better job of taking pictures and showing follow-up than charities are able to do because there's, it's just too complicated. Um, when you have like a massive charity with millions of dollars flowing through it, but, but like me working with the people I'm around overseas, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. And the platform that you're building, if I understand it correctly, if somebody is with an organization like World Vision or something like that, and they have boots on the ground, they could be part of that whole ecosystem. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's so. That's there's there's like the there's like what I'm trying to accomplish with the app in the next few months, and like what is possible now. <laughs> and then there's like the long term vision of what's going to be what like will be in version two and version three, which we have totally mapped out. So like. I, the way it is right now, anyone anywhere in the world can pick up the app and use it to fundraise. And I would say in about a month, that platform will be like really solid. Like we're having the entire backend rebuilt in a way that it's, it's just like going to be rock solid. Nothing's going to happen to it. And then from there, we'll be able to scale it. Right. So the, the platform works now. We're, we're putting it in a, we're, redoing it in a way so that if it if it goes viral or something like that we we are prepared for that and then once that happens we'll it'll be easier for us to make little updates here and there but yeah the having charities having people from charities like world vision or like my charity homes or whatever um they'll be able to use it uh, as well that's good so for those of you who are listening I guess one thing I would like to ask is go to DonorC.com. Just check it out. Maybe tell some people about it. Uh, help spread the word because I think this is going to be a really valuable platform. I think that this is going to be something that God can use to really impact the world. Now, Gret, as you think about this, you know, one thing that's kind of been sitting in the back of my mind, because I remember the commercials from the 80s and 90s of all of the starving children and, you know, all of that stuff. And yeah, those, those weren't. I mean, I understand what they were trying to accomplish, but when you see too many needs, sometimes you can get tired and it can start to desensitize you. Do you have any concerns about that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I've thought about that quite a bit. I'm hoping to build, uh, I want people to, to use the app on a regular basis. So I want it to, and I want it to be fun. Like I, I think that like whenever I give money to someone, I feel there's just like something natural, but like, I just feel good about it. Um, mm. especially if I know I'm being like, if I'm doing it responsibly and doing it in a way that I know will benefit the person, there's something about where I, like, I genuinely feel good. And so with the app, I, I think there's two things. You're going to see a lot of needs, but you're also going to see a lot of like amazing things happen. Right. So I like to think of the example of spending $50 to help John, or let's say Chisomo, let's $50 to help Chisomo get school books so he can go to school for the first time. Um, right. Chisomo was in a place where he doesn't have a lot of money, but if he had 50 extra bucks, he could go to school, get his uniform and start studying. And what's cool about that is over, like, you're going to get updates about Chisomo, like, oh, yeah, it's his first day of school. Oh, he got his first report card and he got all A's. But then imagine just like getting constant updates about Chisomo's life for years to come or a mm-hmm. decade to come. You know, Chisomo's going to college for the first time. This is all taking place within the app. So you can see that Chisomo, um, that your donation made 10 years ago is still making a huge impact in Chisomo's life. And you have opportunities. Okay, Chisomo's going to college now. If you'd like to be a part of helping him out with that, you know, this is how you can do it. So I think, I think there will be a lot of needs, but the whole idea is to, is to develop this type of connection and relationship with the people that you're helping. So I don't imagine people going on the app to help, you know, to find new people to help every day. Mm -hmm. I imagine them having like a relationship with the missionaries that they're going through and the people that they're helping so that they have kind of like an ongoing relationship with specific people that they can see uh, develop over time. 
Yeah, that, that's good. And, you know, when you were sharing that, one of the things that popped into my mind is Scripture says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And, you know, sometimes when we donate, it can feel disconnected because we don't see the results of our work. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But to be able to have that connection, I, I think that's going to be really powerful. With that, we're going to need to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the listeners. Cool. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. I, I, I want to see people come back changed. I want to see them come back with a heart for prayer. I want to see them come back with local connections and, and a, a bigger sense of the body of Christ. I would love to see missionaries and not just American missionaries, but local pastors and believers who are in ministry and not um, be able to to have some kind of income because they we are we are paying them to either guide our tour or go to their restaurant or whatever. And I would love to see kind of an explosion of people maybe coming back from a trip like this who might not dip their toe in a missions trip, but come back from this and say, you know what? I maybe would like to do a short-term missions trip. Amen. So, so it's not, again, that short-term missions is more spiritual than the other, but I see it as a way to expose people in, in a safe way, maybe that they are more comfortable with that first. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Gret Glyer. We've been talking about what led him to build Donor, Donor C and what's kind of going on with that. As we shift our focus now toward you as the listener, I wanted to focus just a little bit on what what's possible. So, Gret, as you think about Donor C and the people who are participating as donors and who, who are um, giving money, what's the transformation in their lives? What's the thing that you're hoping would come out of this for them? One of the things that I you see a lot or that's talked about a lot in like the missionary space or the just like the overseas development space is the idea of like a white savior complex. Like you have these people from America who are who are gung ho mm. going over to these broken countries to fix the problem. And it's you know, it's talked about a lot now and you don't you don't see that as often. Um, but the same thing can happen can can kinda it can kind of feel the same way when you're giving money. Like I'm, I'm a person who's in a position to expend part of my wealth and save these people who are, who are hurting. Uh, and I think one of the things that, um, that you realize when you start to actually build relationships with the people that you're giving to is that you might not be as wealthy as you think. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is materially. Yeah. Okay. If you have, you have more money than the person that you're giving to, but oftentimes the like I can tell you story after story, there's so many different people in Malawi who have almost nothing. Right. And they have really tragic stories that they lost their kid to malaria when he was four years old because the hospital ran out of medicine. You know, these are like common. This is like, this isn't one uh, one in a million. This is one of a million. Like a lot, everyone has these really horrible, tragic stories. And at the same time, they have this incredible joy that you can't find. You can't find anywhere in America, this, this incredibly prosperous nation where everyone is, you know, really, really well taken care of. Um, or at least 99% of the people are, 
you don't find that same amount of like joy. And I think a big part of that is, is comes from both like having these people over overseas, Malawians and other countries, they have uh, a, a really strong relationships with the people around them and just spiritual relationships with, with God. And it's something that it seems like, you know, money almost gets in the way of that sometimes. Mm. So, and it's, you know, it's hard to realize that without going overseas, there's a lot of things about just going overseas and seeing, seeing these other dynamics that you've, you know, getting outside of your fishbowl. But I'm hoping that with, with donor C we'll be able to shed some light, like, you know what, <laughs> you might have a lot of money. You might have, um, you might be in like a position of power of some kind, but when, when you give to these other people, I think that it's going to personally make a big impact on, on your life as well. Like you're going to realize that you're, that you, there's just, just these really beautiful people that you're able to um, develop a relationship with. What would you share with somebody who's called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they're doing really matters in the kingdom? <laughs> that's a, a good question. And that's something I, you know, I wrestled with myself for a while, um, being, being at enterprise and so forth. It, it, I think it is tricky. And I, I think it is, if, if you have like a strong desire to, to do good in the world, but you're, you know, you're in a place where you're, it's like, you know, what's the bottom line or like, how are our profits, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that there is like this dichotomy that you have to, that is like in your brain where you, you're thinking like, you're thinking, okay, so, you know, at my job, I'm like all figures and numbers and stuff. But then when I leave my job, I have like these relationships. And then when I give my money, it's like, I'm trying to be compassionate and it, and you have to kind of, you have to like compartmentalize all this stuff. And I think that's challenging, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of really good ways you can steward the time that you put into a marketplace type job. So if, for example, how you spend the the money that you earn from that and how you interact with your coworkers at these jobs actually is very meaningful. And we talk about, you know, we talk about the hardest people to reach in the world. We talk about the unreached people of the, of on earth and like going into the, the depths of these different countries to like translate the Bible into the 27,000th version of this language. <laughs> and I think that's great. I'm glad that we're doing that, but there's an argument to be made that people who are in the marketplace are actually even harder to reach than these people, you know, in remote villages, like the people in, in, <laughs> in corporate America often are, are, are really difficult to share the gospel with. Like they just want nothing to do with it. And a lot of times I think that has to do with the, the wealth and power dynamics that exist in those structures. What would you share with somebody who's living in the U S or in North America? And they're beginning to realize that more and more of their neighbors or their coworkers are from other world religions or other places where maybe we just consider missionary territory. Yeah. I would say, um, as Christians, <laughs> you have an obligation to love those people no matter what. I mean, like <laughs> think about you, you we're just, sometimes we, we make the Bible like way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, we're told to love our enemies. So it doesn't matter. Like it, it enemy that, that gets the full spectrum, right? That's yeah. like, that's like the person who hates you the most. And then everyone who's like less bad than that. So if you, if you're um, a Republican and there's Democrats or from like, you know, from a different religion or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you live next to an Islamic terrorist, it does not matter. Like they're, if they're your enemy, you know what to do. Um, and I'm not saying like any of that is easy or, you know, th- there's challenges behind that and stuff. Um, but I, I'd say like you have an obligation to love them and it's, it's easy. You know, I'll, I just, I want to emphasize this cause I see this a lot. There's like this um, breaking apart where, where a lot of people like only surround themselves with 
people who think like them. And, mm. um, why? Like, like there's like, everyone needs, everyone needs the gospel. So like, don't, I don't know. There's, there's no reason for that. So yeah, I, I would just say like, reach out to the people who are different than you. And also like, don't, there's, there's a lot to be learned from people who have different perspectives, right? You yeah. don't need, you don't need to see yourself as in a position to educate the people who, who don't already think like you, like you can just develop a relationship with, per, with a person just for the, just for the sake of learning about them and learning their point of view. Like there's a lot of value in that. Is there maybe an internet resource or a tool that you use and could recommend for our listeners? Yeah. You know, there's a really good book, um, changed my life. It's kind of, kind of, um, high level, but, um, it's called coming apart by Charles Murray. Hmm. And it really does a good job of showing specifically in America, how there's this, there's been this breaking apart of, so people who are wealthy all live with other wealthy people and Mm -hmm. people who are poor kind of like also kind of only see poor people. And so there's, whereas in like the 1950s, like a rich person and a poor person might live right next to each other. And in America, there's been this breaking apart over the last 50 or 60 years. That's really put people in like specific bubbles. And some of that's starting to come back together, you know, with social media. And that's, that's a whole interesting conversation, but, but coming apart is a, like a really, really well written book highly researched about this phenomenon and it, it's helped me explain a lot of how I like look at my own self, my own upbringing, the own, my own bubbles that I am a part of. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And for those of you listening, we will have all of this stuff linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Gret Glyer. Now, Gret, as we bring this to a close, we're just about done. Would you mind maybe sharing one last piece of advice and a good way for people to connect with you? Then we'll say goodbye. I'd say, um, you know, it, it really depends on who your audience is and, and, and where they're at in life. I would say that if, if there's a way for, for you to get outside of your bubble, get outside of the, you know, get outside. Of, if you surround yourself with people who think very similarly to you, if there's a way for you to step outside of that and, and re- reach out to people who have different viewpoints or are from a different race or whatever, I would say like, that's a worthwhile thing to do and try like, it's easy to say like, Oh yeah, I should do that. It's a hard thing to do it. So I would say if, if you're in, in that situation, like in the next week, like do something like go to a, go to a black church or have a conversation with a Democrat, you know, whatever it is, like, <laughs> like just do something in the next week that like gets yourself outside of that bubble. That would be like a piece of advice. And then people can reach me. I'm happy to to take personal emails. I, I'm at Greg Glyer on Twitter, bad missionary, is my YouTube channel. And then if people just want to send me an email, um, they can contact Gret at donorc.com. Okay, good stuff. Gret, thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate your time and your generosity. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Brian. I'd like to express my sincere thanks to Gret Glyer for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. As I mentioned, show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Gret Glyer, that's G-R-E-T-G-L-Y-E-R, engagingmissions.com slash Gret Glyer. That's where you'll find links to DonorC, as well as the other resources and things that we talked about. I would recommend that you go ahead and check those out. I just think they're really cool, and I think that you'll enjoy them. And then stop back next Next week, we're going to be talking with a couple of guests about a new kind of trip that you could go on that will expand your cultural horizons, help connect you more closely with local missionaries and local ministries, and also benefit missionaries. I think it's going to be a worthwhile conversation, so stop back next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. 
You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.